Hi there, and welcome to episode number 379 of Smart Podcast Trashy Books. I'm Sarah Wendell from Smart Bitches Trashy Books, and if you are queuing up some podcasts for holiday travels, I hope that you will add this one because this has immediately become one of my favorite episodes. I'm talking with Alyssa Cole today, and we start off talking about her Audible original, The AI Who Loved Me, which releases on December 3rd, 2019. There are a lot of things she put in her imaginary near future that are now coming true, so it's pretty freaky. But we also talk a lot about burnout and the costs of working too much. We talk about her upcoming thriller, which you're going to want to know all about. And we talk about overcoming hesitation to promote your own work. There are some really thoughtful, weighty topics in this episode, but we also laugh so much. So I hope this conversation is as uplifting and inspiring for you as it was for me. This podcast is brought to you by The Rancher's Redemption by Kate Pierce. New York Times bestselling author Kate Pierce returns with the second book in a new contemporary Western romance series, a spinoff of her successful Morgan Ranch series, focusing on a neighboring family with their own ranch and problems of the heart. Emphasizing family bonds, community, and the pride in hard work, this family saga is guaranteed to tug at the heartstrings as a widower and a single mother learn that sometimes it's okay to lean on each other. The Rancher's Redemption by Kate Pierce is on sale now wherever books are sold. For more information, visit kensingtonbooks.com. Today's podcast and the transcript are sponsored by Where Winter Finds You by J.R. Ward. Number one New York Times bestselling author J.R. Ward is heating things up this winter with a holiday novel featuring some of her most iconic Black Dagger brothers. Fans of the series will remember Trez and the heartbreak he suffered from the shadows. He believed there was nothing left for him but grief until a mysterious woman shows up in Caldwell and Trez is convinced she's the reincarnation of his lost love. Therese has come to Caldwell fleeing demons of her own, but her attraction to Trez is undeniable. Can these two lost souls find healing and happiness at last? Well, tis the season for magic. Where Winter Finds You by J.R. Ward is on sale now wherever books are sold. Find out more at jrward.com. Today's podcast is also brought to you by In the Unlikely Event by L.J. Shen. If you like Penny Reed, Vi Keeland, and Sophie Kinsella, you'll love this contemporary comedy set in rural Ireland. Malachi Doherty and Aurora Jenkins fell in love when they were 18. But then she moved to America for college and never expected to see him again. The problem is Aurora promised Mal she would marry him if they ever met again. They even signed a contract on a napkin. How is she supposed to know they'd actually meet? New York Times bestselling author Helena Hunting says this book is the perfect blend of soul-crushing angst, laugh-out-loud wit, and heart-melting romance. A New York Times bestselling author Kylie Scott called it a romance masterpiece. In the Unlikely Event by L.J. Shen is on sale now on Amazon and free with Kindle Unlimited. Find out more at authorljshen.com. I want to make sure that I never miss an opportunity to thank the Patreon community that helps keep the show going every week. If you have supported the show with a monthly pledge of any amount, thank you. Your support means so much, and you help make sure that every episode is accessible to everyone. 
If you'd like to join the Patreon community, it would be wonderful if you did. Have a look at patreon.com slash smartbitches. And one last thing before we get started, to all of you who are traveling for the holidays, if you're looking at not interacting with humanity and would like to consider audiobooks, Audible has the world's largest selection of audiobooks and audio entertainment, including Audible Originals. You can start listening with a 30-day Audible trial. Choose one audiobook and two Audible Originals absolutely free. Visit audible.com slash trashybooks or text trashybooks to 500-500. Now, if you sign up, you can get the Audible original you're about to learn all about, Alyssa Cole's The AI Who Loved Me. It's performed by Regina Hall and Mindy Kaling, among many others, and it's really good. You can get a 30-day Audible trial with one audiobook and two Audible originals for free. Visit audible.com slash trashybooks or... Text trashy books to 500 500. Seriously, that's so cool. That's A U D I B L E dot com slash trashy books or text trashy books to 500 500. Let's get started with this interview, shall we? And make sure to listen in for the guest appearance of one of Alyssa's roosters. On with the podcast with Alyssa Cole. My name is Alyssa Cole, and I am a romance writer and also, I guess, a thriller writer now, too. Um, I have, this year, I've finished my Reluctant Royal series, which is um, contemporary royalty romance, romantic comedy, and also my Loyal League series, which is Civil War, Espionage, Historical Romance. Uh, I have an Audible original novella coming out that is sci-fi romance, and I'm currently working on a thriller. Uh, So, yeah. (laughs) Hi. So so you write some things. I write some things. Okay. That is such a list of things that I now want to ask you about. So uh, (laughs) strap in. Get ready. I know that you, you mentioned The AI Who Loved Me, which is an Audible original, and I think that is just so interesting, that whole process. Can you tell me about the novella and what it was like re- writing an audio original? So the Audible original thing, um, it actually happened by chance. Uh, the Well, the story behind it is I had actually started for a while. I didn't really listen to audiobooks because I thought I wouldn't um, be able to concentrate Um, But then I started listening to more scripted podcasts, more, uh, and then audiobooks, and I got really interested in them as a medium. Um, They actually helped me a lot to focus when I was, you know, cleaning stuff around the house, um, driving, and I was like, wow, I can read so many books. (laughs) I actually have time to read books now because I can do it while I'm doing other things. Um, Right. But anyway, I got really into it. And I was listening to like some scripted podcasts too. And I actually sent an email to my, well, I wrote an email to my agent saying, um, you know, what do you think about like audio or scripted podcasts? And then I didn't send it. (laughs) And then (laughs) like three days later, I get an email from my agent saying, hey, I I heard from someone at Audible, um, an editor at Audible who, you know, loves your work and is interested in working with you. And I, I was very confused. 
<laughs> I went and checked the draft folder and I did not accidentally send the email. Um, so she was like very also confused by my reaction because I was like, oh my God, this is, and I, you know, I was like freaking out because it seemed like it was meant to be. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so then I ended up speaking with Rose Hilliard at Audible, who is my editor at Audible, who's great. The AI Who Loved Me is the first book, hopefully in a series. Um, and Ooh, it kind of... You said the S word. Yes. Um, <laughs> you know, started off as a a one and done. And then as it was going, I, like, of course, she had friends and they're, you know... There's this whole, the world that they're in that needs some resolution. But basically, um, it was pretty cool because I was like, okay, at the beginning, I was just like, well, this will be fun. I'll write a short novella. Um, And I had some ideas that I hadn't been able to use for other projects. Like, um, and like, this is the thing too. Like I had started one project, done a bunch of work on it, and then it didn't go anywhere. Started another project, um, done a bunch of work, and it didn't go anywhere. But then when Audible reached out to me, I was able, and they were like, "Do you have anything in particular that you know?" They they basically I had to pitch something to them. I had something ready to go because I was like, "Oh well, I can take this from that project that failed. Uh, I can or not that failed that didn't succeed <laughs> or didn't work out when it because it wasn't meant to be yet." Um, I take something from this other project and then it came together to become the AI who loved me. I was really going for kind of like a 90s action romantic comedy thriller kind of thing. Not, like basically like the sensation of speed, not actual speed, but like the sensation that speed gave me watching it where it's like these people are in this situation. This it's like in the near future. It's a woman who lives mm-hmm. in an apartment complex with her her friend and her job is a virtual basically like a virtual uber driver um the cars are supposed to so (laughs) the cars are it's so cool (laughs) the cars are supposed to be driverless um so but like they really just have humans you know around the world in various locations driving them from their home driving stations she used to work for a government agency, um, but after being involved in an accident, she just has decided to take this job. She's suffering from some PTSD. And um, basically, one of she has an, an older neighbor who um, one day her hot nephew shows up, hot and very strange, and they start to get to know one another. They're kind of thrown together when um, something happens to the neighbor and um, she finds out that he is actually a robot and she decides to help him um, help continue what her neighbor was doing, which was teaching him how to be human. One of the things I love about the world building in this novella, and, and I'm really excited because you sent me the script, which means that I can read it and, you know, prepare for the interview like a good <laughs> podcaster. But then, then I get to listen to it, um, which is super cool. But one of the things I love about the world building is that so much of the technology that surrounds the main characters is inhuman. And it's replacing humans with machines, or it's treating humans as machines. Yes. And the central focus of the romance is tr- teaching a machine how to become more and more human. Yes. Nicely played, (laughs) ma'am. 
I will honestly say that, you know, I've always been interested in this stuff, but I feel like since I've, you know, completed the manuscript, I see more and more things every day that I added to the manuscript just, oh, this would be funny or this would be interesting or kind of like, you know, a logical conclusion of where things can go. And they like, you know, me thinking this is like in the future, mm-hmm. Um but then I keep seeing things popping up like on my Twitter timeline that it's like, oh, <laughs> this is like that thing. This is like that thing. This is like that. Uh, so I'm just like, it's happening. And those are the things that, you know, not to be all conspiracy theorists, but no company reveals the highest level of what they've achieved. They just are putting out what they can market and then what they can market next and what they can market next. So like, I just find it extremely, like I'm kind of fascinated with where we go from here, um, where we are heading. And then also, you know, adding romance into it. (laughs) And humanity. And humanity. So you were going to message me about doing a podcast when I messaged you. You were going to email your agent about doing an Audible original. And she emailed you about doing an Audible book. You wrote a whole bunch of futuristic technology that then has now shown up in your Twitter timeline. Have you thought about being some kind of oracle? Because uh, you could probably predict some futures here. I don't Just know. putting that out there. Uh, I am. I am probably a witch. Um, most of yeah, my, I was gonna say <laughs> most of my powers are cat related. Unfortunately, <laughs> they can't. <laughs> Wait, no, no, no! I thought it was your husband who would go take a walk and find twelve kittens. Oh yeah, I mean he has his own animal powers. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> Two of you are very dangerous cat wives. Uh, one day we will lead the cat army. Uh- <laughs> No, my plan is to just write some books with really, really great outcomes for the world <laughs> and hope that okay. and hope that this is actually true. <laughs> uh, I love this plan, especially because of how much the world building in the AI who loved me is incredibly probable that a single company has become a private sector of the government and controls so much of what we do and how much we're observed and how much we participate. Even the idea that we all watch other people doing things on YouTube has become something that people watch all the time now in your world. Mm -hmm. That's really quite prescient. Did you scare the crap out of yourself writing some of this? (laughs) I didn't, but like just kind of while writing it and then seeing how it's playing out, where things are going in the way that mm-hmm. these these kinds of things aren't really being controlled. Uh, people, mm-hmm. it's the Wild West in tech. Um, people, as long as they get donors, can basically do whatever they want. Government infrastructure around the world is, you know, are crumb- crumbling. The infrastructure of actual countries are crumbling, like, uh, you know, the trains in, all, in New York and like, you know, all the things you can think of, mm-hmm. bridges, pipes. Um, and this all sounds like if you're listening, this all sounds like it's set in a super dystopia. But like the actual book itself mostly takes place at this apartment complex. Um, so mm-hmm. you like the, re- you know, as the reader or it's the listener, you're getting you learn slowly like what this world is actually like it's very much influenced by what's going on in the world today and what are the possible outcomes and like i love robot boyfriends i'm obsessed with robot (laughs) robot partners and robots who can love and 
Um, I have been since I was a kid, but there's also this idea of like what space it's taking up in our lives. A lot of Mm -hmm. times without us even thinking about it, like for example, right now, my phone is recording what we're saying uh, because Mm -hmm. I have WhatsApp. I have a microphone on the phone. At some point Mm -hmm. I'll go on Twitter and there, I mean, I'll go on Instagram and it will show me an ad for something that we talked about. Um, Oh yeah. So, but like, that sounds so incredibly scary <laughs> when you think about it, but it literally is just normal for us now. It is. It, it's normal and it's it, it varies how individual people tolerate that in that inclusion or invasion of technology in their lives. And I know that you have a super tech background and you're interested in science. And like you said, you've always been interested in the the possibility of your robot boyfriend. What sorts of things did you learn about artificial intelligence while writing this? Um, what kind of cool research did you find? Um, well, you know, I, I read a lot of articles. I listened to a lot of podcasts with people working in the artificial intelligence field. And I think the podcasts were the most incredibly helpful because, and um, you know, people, to a certain extent, scientists who are working on this are sharing their research because they will they want other people to, you know, make progress too. Um, but I just found out, you know, a lot of things I didn't understand, <laughs> to be perfectly honest, because yeah. I'm, I'm not a scientist. Um, but like hearing how people spoke about it, but also just the things that go into artificial intelligence. And one of the things that goes into it is us humans. For example, I was listening to one podcast with um, a guy working on deep learning and artificial intelligence and emotion. He said something that really struck me. He was like, we gather data. Um, there are people who input their moods, you know, daily, and then we gather the data and track the moods. Um, and then we analyze that. And that's, you know, becomes part of the deep learning for the artificial intelligence and blah, blah, blah. And I was thinking about it. And then I was like, wait a minute. I was like, who are these people? Because I had months before that downloaded a mood tracker app. It's supposed to be so, you you know, you can track your mood swings and see what the correlations are and stuff like that. Totally. Yeah. And it was free. And I was like, oh, cool. And I just used it. And I was like, he didn't. The something about the way he said people input their moods without saying like we have hired people to do this or we are doing a study and people are doing this. I mean, I I don't know the answer to this, but I was like, what are they doing with the data that I put into this app daily? Uh, what are they using it for? Why? I mean, some people are doing things out of you know just the the greater good and to help people and put this free app, but I don't know what they're doing with this data. And it's not necessarily Mm -hmm. nefarious, but like, so just thinking about like all the things and even the thing, like when you're on, uh, you try to sign up or sign into a website and you have to do that. I'm not a robot, the CAPTCHA or recaptcha or whatever Mm -hmm. it's called. And like for the longest time, I I did not know what that was, but it's real. It's helping artificial intelligence, (laughs) like visual artificial intelligence that's why you have to pick out all of the crosswalk that's why you have to pick out the bikes or the storefront because then that's being Mm -hmm. cataloged somewhere so I was just thinking you know of all of the ways that in our 
daily life. This artificial intelligence is part of our daily life in ways that we don't even think about. Um, I downloaded an app that was a meeting app that was supposed to transcribe meetings. And um, Mm -hmm. after listening to people for a few minutes, it can determine who they are and then do the transcript and like apply names to who the people are using artificial intelligence. But that information can also be used to train artificial intelligence to sound more human, like, and hypothetically. So like, these are just all of the things and all of like the kind of ideas that where I started, um, because like writing this kind of stuff is kind of like just becoming a conspiracy theorist. (laughs) Like you start seeing things everywhere where you're like, oh, I bet they can use that for that. And I bet they can use that for that. And, you know, as long as you don't go too far with it, it's fine. But um, but then sometimes you're right. <laughs> if, if I can think of it, like genius scientists can think of it. So that's kind of like what the researching was like. And, and like, you know, a lot of people don't think artificial intelligence will get to the point where uh, robots can think and feel like humans. So, you know, there is the fantasy aspect of that. But like, People are working on it to try to make it happen. Um, just thinking about how that fits into our current society. And the idea that if you are using something for free, then you are not the customer. Mm-hmm. You're the data. You are the information. You are the product exactly. being sold eventually. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, even Gmail, like now it starts to autocorrect for us. That's because it's been reading our emails mm-hmm. for how many years now? <laughs> And it knows what phrases we use. Um, I saw today that Spotify Premium is giving away like Google mini home systems. And people are like, oh, that's so cool. I'm going to get it. And it's like, yeah, they're literally giving away free recording devices to put in your home. <laughs> like, okay, I know people listening to this right now are probably like, what? Is this a, rom- is this a romantic comedy? <laughs> it is. <laughs> but... Oh, it but it also, is. you know, in the background is kind of exploring all of these um, aspects of technology and what role it plays in our lives. One of the things I also like about the story is that in the very beginning, the heroine is engaging with her therapist digitally. Yes. And there's this human connection to a person who is helping her work through trauma. And for some people, the idea of connecting to a person virtually can be life-saving because they can't get to a person in, you know, in the actual space that they're in for a whole host of reasons. So there's this in the comedy. Yes, I promise y'all, I promise it's a comedy. There is this balance between technology and humanity and which one is taking advantage of the other. Yes. Which is, you know, it's, it's all pretty big stuff for a novella. <laughs> you know, that's not a big word count. Piece of cake. When you were writing it, because it was an audio original, did you have to think in terms of a script? Like I noticed in the script that you sent me, there were sound effects. Did you add those or did Audible add those? Um, I added those. Uh, So yeah, I I did try to think about it. Like some parts of it are transcripts and some parts of it are just, you know, prose for the transcripts. I did try to think of it as kind of like an audio play in some ways. Yeah. Um, I tried to think about funny sound effects or what the emotional effect of a sound effect would be at a certain point. Um, <laughs> what kind of music would be in this commercial? Yes. Uh, things like that. I, I have not heard the final product yet, 
um, but I know they were working really hard on it, um, the sound production team. And like, I don't know, it was just, for me, it was really fun because um, it was just tapping into a different way of of thinking about things when I write, because I mean, I generally write pretty visually or like cinematically, I guess, like I'm imagining it playing out before my eyes, but like also trying to think, hone in on sound and what, um, what would affect me just listening to something. And it was like a fun, a fun and different writing experience. There are some moments like the commercial for the the dishwasher made me laugh so hard. And the (laughs) the first, I won't spoil it, but it, it is so funny and so very subtly snarky at the same time. And then there's there's a moment with the uh, initial contact between Penny, who is the heroine's sort of digital assistant, virtual yes. digital assistant, and the hero is all sound. I cannot wait to hear what that sounds like because just reading the script, I was like, oh, wait, is that like this sound or is it that other sound <laughs> from when like two modems would talk? Like, what sound is this? I can't wait to hear it. Like, it's going to be so fun. Yeah, and that was actually one of the things that was funny. I'm not sure what sound they used at the end, but I wanted I wanted it to be the modem sound, even though I, you know, I know that's not the sound, what the sound was used for. But I just was thinking of like what that sound means to me. Yes, and like or and people who used to have to do a dial up modem. So, oh, oh, I remember it well. <laughs> so I just thought that you know, what are the ways this can be played for comedy or also nostalgia in the script. I am excited to hear it too, to also to hear how that part came out. And it's being narrated by some absolutely incredible people. Yeah. <laughs> so Nikki Kaling and Regina Hall and Fyodor Chin, what what was your reaction when you found out how many people were involved and who they were? Um I again this was one of those things that came out of nowhere. Like I really, I, I was super excited when, you know, the, the project came to be, I was worried at one point because at, right before I was supposed to like really dive into writing it, um, I burnt out, like completely burnt out and couldn't work or really do anything. Mm-hmm. Um, which honestly, when I reread the book, <laughs> as I was editing, I was like, Oh, <laughs> Some of that is in here. Um, (laughs) So I was just like, oh, you know, I kind of messed up this chance that they gave me and I'm late because I'm I'm unable to um, to do anything right now. But they were really understanding. And then on top of it, they were like, oh, yeah, we're going to have (laughs) like these celebrities read the book. And I was just like, what? (laughs) Like. It didn't make any sense to me. Uh, I mean, I just, I, I of course was happy, but I also still have not fully processed that that's actually a thing that happened. But yeah, so Regina Hall is playing Trinity. Amazing. Amazing. And Mindy Kaling is Penny. <laughs> I love this so much. Um, Theodore Chen is Lee Wade. There are also some other supporting cast members. So, you know, they did like a full cast recording for certain scenes. But yeah, I was just super excited. Um, I was particularly excited about Regina Hall because part of this, too, was kind of thinking about like the 90s romantic comedies 
um, and the variety of them and the fact that there were never really action comedy ones with Black heroines. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, even romantic comedy in general, they they obviously do exist. I'm not going to say they don't exist. But the, the variety of roles provided for Black women and other uh, actresses of color was not really going on in the 90s. And, you know, still there's pretty big dirt now that's starting to change. The other day, the Modern Love Amazon anthology show launched and there were no Black heroines in the entire series. Uh, so just like part of the when I was writing it as this kind of like specific action thriller romantic comedy um, was imagining, you know, actresses <laughs> that I've seen in romantic comedies. So then having it turn, you know, in the end, it being Regina Hall, who has like this like long career and is a great comedic actress um, and a great romantic comedy actress, it was just turned out to be super awesome. And also I got to talk to her on the phone and I almost died. <laughs> no. Oh my gosh. Uh, what was that like? Did you have your head between your knees the whole time? I was walking around in circles in my house. And then even after I hung up the phone, I just like continued to walk around in circles for like half an hour. <laughs> And I will say that she's super nice and I love her. Um, <laughs> she she was just a super, super awesome person to talk to. Yeah, so I'm really, I did get to hear a snippet of of uh, the audio when it was in production and it sounded so good. So I'm excited. I am so excited for you. <laughs> but I actually, I, I, mean, did, I did scream when I, when I got oh, the I, email. Like, I don't usually have outsized emotional reactions like that when it comes to work Uh but I did scream so (laughs) (laughs) you mentioned that you are working on a thriller is that the thing that's the project that's right in front of you right now uh yeah I'm about to send another draft in hopefully today (laughs) oh fingers crossed so this I know this is about gentrification yeah so the basic pitch is uh like rear window meets get out <laughs> and it's a, a woman living in a brooklyn neighborhood who grew up there who moved away for a little bit and came back a guy who has bought a house together with his girlfriend but then uh things didn't work out between them who kind of get thrown together and start to notice some weird things going on in the neighborhood especially after a corporation has won a deal to put their headquarters in the neighborhood. You know, that's another thing. Like I said, you start to become a conspiracy theorist because I'm writing a lot of this stuff and I'm like, this isn't even fake. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I mean, but if that's the same. Th- I, I had the same feeling when I was writing the Loyal League series, which is kind of suspense and thriller-ish. Of, yes. of like you know you're adding these things and it's like yes it's fiction but like it's not far from reality I will say that yesterday I was writing something and I freaked myself out so much that I, <laughs> I had to stop writing 
Uh, <laughs> <laughs> like I started to get, you know, like when you get like that anxiety and between your shoulder blades. And I was like, <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes. I get that. Like when I read ghost stories or I read yeah. stories of like really creepy encounters, I start to be like, all right, I need to get away from the windows. Yeah. I was like, stop. Let me go take a coffee break or something because this is getting a little intense. Um, so hopefully readers feel that way too <laughs> when they're reading it. Oh, man. But yeah, that's cool. And it's been, it's optioned by Temple Hill, who possibly will make it into a movie. So that would be cool. <gasps> Congratulations. I did not know that. Yes. Oh, that's amazing. Way to go. Yeah. Oh, how cool. So is there any romance in the thriller? Are they thrown together? Um, and are there sexy shenanigans as well? There are sexy shenanigans. I love a good sexy shenanigans. It's not like the main focus, but you know mm-hmm. how I write. It's it's pretty it's pretty high up there. <laughs> awesome. The basic premise is that like she decides she's tired of tours coming through her neighborhood, like historical tours that don't mm-hmm. focus on the actual people who live in the neighborhood or people who look like the people that live in the neighborhood and decides to make her own tour. And as they start doing research, um, starts to discover some things. For me, it's a very uh, personal project, too, because, you know, my I'm from the Bronx and from Jersey City, Um, Jersey City, downtown Jersey City, where where I mostly grew up, underwent a huge gentrification. Oh, and, yes, it did. <laughs> oh, I, you, you know, and I you lived know. there. You and yeah. I, we didn't know this, but we lived there at around the same time or very close to the same time. And I yeah. remember going, oh, things changed so fast. Holy cow. Yeah. And I mean, like, it literally was like I was at college. It felt like I was, you know, away. I mean, I didn't go far. I was in Jersey. But <laughs> I come home to visit and then there's like a huge monster condominium out of yeah. nowhere. Oh, so yeah. a lot. A lot of the thriller or a lot of the kind of terror of it in the thriller is based on those like moments of like. I don't recognize anything. Seeing the things you thought you knew, the things that would always be there, like erased without you even noticing. Oh, yeah. Uh, I (laughs) I went home to Pittsburgh for a funeral. Um, apparently, I'm at the age where now my friend's parents pass away. So I go to funerals, uh, which is not something I expected. I mean, it's normal aging and mortality happen. But I was like, oh, oh, that's that's the stage. Okay, that's where I am now. So I went home to Pittsburgh. Um, my middle school is gone, has been replaced by multicolored condos. Uh, the factory that used to belong to Nabisco is now the Bakery Square area. And Google is there. It is really scary and disorienting to think I, I I walked here every day I walked to the school every day and it's it's just gone like it's not even there the building is gone everything looks different and yet I was at that place hundreds and hundreds of times in my yep. life and it's it's really disorienting it is and it's like even and I lived in Brooklyn for how many years a long time basically from after college until um I moved to Martinique Brooklyn hasn't changed at all in that time. No. Oh my gosh. Yes. And, and, it, and I've lived all over. I lived in Park Slope. I lived in Williamsburg. I lived in Fort Greene. I lived in Bed-Stuy. And just seeing the changes, um, I, I doubt I could afford to live any of those places anymore. I was say, you, live, uh, you, you really are some kind of oracle. <laughs> 
Really? Like you lived in all of the places that are now impossible to live in. Well, I was you basically, are. I was basically doing like what, you know, moving to pl- the places you can afford. Like when I lived in Park Slope, I was in like some illegal apartment, like right down by the, <laughs> by the overpass yeah, where all the car dealerships were. Um, it didn't have a sink. Okay. <laughs> what? what? When I moved into the apartment, it was, I didn't realize that it was this a one bedroom apartment cut in half. <gasps> and I, I took, so when they showed it to me, I, they were like, oh, there's no stove. So you'll have to get like, and I was like, I can get a hot plate or whatever, you know. Yeah, I can make this work. Uh, and then I moved in and the movers were like, the other apartment wasn't occupied yet. And they started moving all my kitchen stuff into the kitchen there. And I was like, no, you can put it in here. And they were like, where's your kitchen? There's no sink in here. And I was like, because, you know, it's one of those things that you're so used to seeing that, of course, there's Why would a sink you, in there. Right. Why would you look for the sink? And then I basically just, there. <laughs> just had like a breakdown. I called the people and they were like, you can just wash your dishes in the bathroom. And <gasps> I... <laughs> no. No, no. Oh, and, my God. And I was like... I believe this is against the housing laws. I might have to go ask someone about that. And then they were like, oh, we can get you a sink. Um, oh, yes, they can, huh? And like literally, because they were saying all this stuff, there are no pipes and blah, blah, blah. And like a couple of days later, a guy came with one of those big plastic mop sinks that, you know, oh usually God. in the back of a restaurant. And then it had like a little handle, like from a grammar school bathroom. Like the oh. the little oh, faucet, oh God. like a utility sink. Yeah, oh, nice. And, you know, I I really decorated that apartment very nicely, but it was it was uh it was a it had character, I guess I'll say. And now that apartment is worth seven and a half million dollars. <laughs> I would not be surprised. It's actually probably <laughs> it's actually probably been torn down and replaced with like a twenty story condominium or something. Oh, I'm sure. Multicolored. <laughs> yes. Or with the glass front, maybe. Oh, my God. Uh, but yeah, so basically the thriller is kind of like harnessing this kind of dread that fills you when you see something that's supposed to be recognizable and it totally isn't. But like, And I mean, even um, while I was living the last couple of years when I was living in bed things were changing so quickly and like one of the things that I always kind of think of that makes me laugh is that there was this fried chicken restaurant that I used to love going to. And um, when Mr. Cole would come to visit, we would go to the restaurant. And I mean, he's like white, he's French, but we would go to this restaurant. And then one day, uh, one of the last times before I moved to Martinique, we went to the restaurant and he was like, uh, everyone here is white. <laughs> but I was like, that was like how quickly the the neighborhood had changed and the clientele wow. of the restaurant had changed. And I mean, they were, but it was like, so kind of that, like, you know, you look up one day and it's like, wait a every, minute, everything is kind of different. Um, and I mean, he didn't even live here. He Like he didn't even live there. And he was like, Oh, <laughs> this is getting kind of weird. So it's kind of about that. It's, it's, Somewhat intense to be writing, but um, just I, a bit, yeah. So you tweeted recently that 
you are not required to apologize for promoting your work. And that really <clears throat> spoke to me. Um, I'm really good at promoting lots of other people's work, mm-hmm. but I'm not so good at promoting my own. Is that something you struggle with too? It's something that um, I used to struggle with a lot. I still struggle with it. I still want to apologize sometimes. I still don't, you know, do as much actual advertising as I should be doing because, you know, I don't want to annoy people. Uh, I don't want to like be all in the timeline and getting on people's nerves. Um, But at the same time, I feel like this is really something that people, not everyone feels this sensation. And then I'll just, sometimes I'll be scrolling and I'll see like within the same scroll, I'll see like a woman or, you know, someone from a marginalized background, like, Hey, I did this thing. Um, If you want to check it out or sorry to annoy you or uh, I'll be done advertising soon. And then in the same school, you can see like some dude like, yeah, my book came out. Everyone should buy it so I can hit the New York Times list. And it's like, <laughs> whoa, that's, so, that's different. So and even if it's not always that thing, it's kind of like and I'm not again, I'm not I'm not trying to say that every single dude is so confident and does this. But in general, the trends of who is confident and about just being like, even I have a book out today. Here is a tweet with the cover and the links for you to buy the book. I see so mm-hmm. many authors literally just say my book is out today. They don't offer any way for people to buy it. And I think it's not that they don't know. It's that they feel somehow it's presumptuous of them to <laughs> assume that people like, oh, if they want it, they'll go find it. I guess I don't want to like put the link. It, when you say it out loud, it doesn't make any sense. Um, But I often see people not even give people a way to find their work, or they'll retweet someone, only retweet someone else saying to buy their book. They will kind of like talk around it. You can see that they're uncomfortable um, Mm -hmm. promoting their own work, or even kind of acknowledging that they would like other people to buy it or, you know, read it or whatever the work is, whether it's a book or an article or whatever. Um, So I feel like they have an ambition. Yeah. And I think that this, there really is this idea and like a fear of being slapped down, a fear of, you know, people saying, oh, she must be full of herself or that you're showing off. And it's just like, well, (laughs) no, but also like, so what? (laughs) Like, as long as you're not spamming people's timeline and being like, yes, I'm the best writer in the world and uh, screw all you other guys. Like, I see, obviously, because I I feel it. But that's also what annoys me because I know it's not logical. <laughs> but yet I also feel the same urge to kind of make myself smaller when I talk about my mm-hmm. achievements. You know, on a personal level, a lot of times I when I talk about something... I try not to be like so enthusiastic because I don't want to be annoying or, or I'm like, Oh, I just talked about something yesterday. Should I like, I guess I just won't talk about this because I don't want to seem like I'm like, whatever. Um, But I, I do think this is just a general thing of being made to feel like you, you should achieve, you should go after your dreams, but if you achieve it, don't, you know, don't get a big head about it or don't expect other people to like care about it. 
I think is kind of this general mm-hmm. thing. Cause like, you know, you think about like the writing community and how everyone supports each other, but then you reach a, a certain point and people get scared to say, okay, yeah, I've been working all this time on this book and now it's here. Here is where you can buy it. No one's going to get mad because you're <laughs> trying to sell your book or talking about something good that happened to you. And like, you know, maybe someone will, but who cares about them? Like, it's just like such a bizarre, you know, like it's it's like this weird mental catch-22 of like, oh, I don't want to annoy people by like saying I have a book on sale today. But like if someone is annoyed by you saying a book on sale today, they weren't going to buy the, like, they're not your audience. <laughs> yeah. And But the people who are your audience are then missing out. And I can only really speak to romance. I feel like there's always this like deeply entrenched hesitation and mm-hmm. people talking about their work or actively promoting their achievements yeah the thing is like people are supportive if you talk about those things yeah so but it's like something i think that comes from not from romance landia but from society how society has treated so many people who uh work and write in romance landia um so we kind of bring those things with us even Mm -hmm. though in general, those are not, it's not something we should be worrying about within our own community. It's real, but it's not the whole reality. Yeah. What sorts of things do you do to look after yourself and take care of your creative self? I'm trying to, I'm actually just getting back into things. So like I said earlier, <clears throat> in February, I had, well, like the end of January and then like into February, I had like a really intense burnout um like as in going to the doctor am i dying okay getting these scans am i having a heart attack what Mm -hmm. is this sensation oh man Um, and like physically not being able to write like literally unable um i had ideas but like my body had a physical reaction when i sat down in front of the computer Um, so, and the thing is that leading up to that burnout, I had started, you know, I had been, okay, using a treadmill every day and getting, you know, exercising. Um, but the thing is it was too late. I was already in, I, and that's just the thing with burnout. I was just talking to it because I was like, am I burnt out again? Or like, is this PMS? What is happening? I mean, I think it was PMS, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but um, when you reach a certain level of burnout, like you're already there before it's already too late uh, to really stop it or, or to like, you mm-hmm. can't self care your way out of it. Um, so m- right now I try to do, to take and it took a while like over the summer when I was traveling I was getting really exhausted and then I realized like I never fully recovered from the burnout because at a certain point it was like okay I am able to sit and write I need to, I have a book that has a deadline and I need to write it so I did feel much better mm-hmm. and I think for most writers or people creatives in general we're always in varying stages of burnout uh (laughs) so I you know I just remember before I had mine I just remembered there was like a spate of seeing several people like with hospital selfies 
I mean, they weren't, they weren't like, you know, being like, ha, cool, but like just how many authors and particularly um, authors from marginalized backgrounds were literally burning themselves out to the point of ending up in the hospital. I, right now, after that, I try to, so I still have, you know, a lot of deadlines that have to be met because I need money. <laughs> uh, all of these animals are not going to feed themselves. Um, but, uh, so I try to think of, you know, I've gotten back into a workout routine. I'm not, I'm working on routines. Um, I started doing, you know, I got back to my aqua biking uh, aqua biking, which whenever I talk about it to people, they're like, who are not in France, they're like, what is that? It's basically like spend class, but in a pool, you, they put a bike in the pool yep. and then you ride it and it's fun and you can float around. Last month I started doing pole dancing. Oh, how is it going? <laughs> um, I am terrible. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it's, so, it's actually really interesting because the first class, um, pole dancing is extremely hard. But that's why that's why it's like a good fitness workout, because you're working your core, you're working your and especially for me, like I'm usually spend most of my time slouched over in a chair. So I wanted something that was kind of like full body fitness, but also fun. It was a totally random thing. I was like passing some table. I was at the mall and there was like an activities fair and I passed a table. And actually, I saw another bald woman and I was like, oh, what's this? <laughs> One of my bald sistren is doing something. And she was the pole dancing instructor. Ooh. And I mean, she's amazing. <laughs> like, I'm basically like, you know, awkwardly hanging off of the thing. But it takes time. You have to build <laughs> up your muscles. Um, you have to yes. build up your back strength, your core strength, your leg strength, Um and the first class, I was telling someone, like, the first class, literally in the middle of the class, I was like, I'm leaving. Like, I hate this. This is terrible. And then I was just like, I don't actually hate this. I hate the fact that I'm doing something I'm not good at. Uh, oh, something that, important distinction. Yeah, I hate that I'm doing something I might never be good at. And other people are seeing me not be good at something. Um, so that was actually when I decided to keep doing it, you know, at least for a few months to see how I feel about it. Because like, I wanted to kind of be learn how to sit with discomfort. And to learn how to sit with because I, it's not that I hate it, I actually do enjoy it. Um, I just don't enjoy not being good at things. <laughs> so. Which I, I which is an important thing to know. <laughs> Yeah, so it, it's been interesting. It is a great workout. Um, it's fun. Um, it's a little weird, like just like going to a class in your underwear or whatever. <laughs> but it's interesting. It, my, I, I'm going to keep doing it and see how it goes. So that's like actually for me that was something. The aqua biking and like other fitness stuff. Um, and like you know, yeah, yeah. I don't want to be that annoying person. Um, it is good for my, for me personally, for my mental health. It's good for my yeah. mental health. But the thing is, it's not a cure. And like, I know a lot of people get annoyed when people talking talk about like exercise and mental health. And this is like somewhat related uh, because after the burnout, I started doing um, yoga and I started mm-hmm. doing yin yoga. Uh, it's kind of like 
a lot of sitting and holding pose. It's not like I, my balance sucks. Uh, so I don't <laughs> <laughs> Pole dancing will help with that too. I, I, I hope. I hope. But like, I literally, I mean, and I don't know if this is related to the ADHD or what in retrospect, but like I can be standing in line at the supermarket and then like almost fall over. <laughs> it's like, I literally it was just standing here. Um, so basically, I started doing this yoga called yin yoga, because I saw someone mention it for anxiety, because it's about learning and related to the pole dancing again, learning to sit with discomfort. Um, because you hold the I mean, yeah. not not that you are supposed to be hurting yourself, the poses are generally on the ground. And um, working like your hips and your back but um also they you hold the poses uh for a long time for like five minutes so it's kind of like meditation and I just do YouTube videos when I do it uh it's also good for like helping you fall asleep sometimes but basically so like with the pole dancing and like with other things that I'm starting to do part of it is like yes exercise because whatever you know, brain chemicals make you feel good. But the, you know, also it doesn't solve mental health problems. <laughs> like, so it's good to do that. It is something that helps. But I remember at one point I had been doing the yoga for a while and then I got really mad because I was like, I'm doing, I'm exercising, I'm doing yoga and like, I'm not like cured of <laughs> my mental health problems. Uh, but then I had to put into perspective of like, well, it's not a cure. It's just something that will help you to better deal with things. And if you do it consistently to help kind of maintain um, and also be able to, I guess, be proactive about certain things. But at the same time, it's not going to like be like, oh, yeah, like my brain is suddenly Cured. I still I still have the same brain. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so a lot of the self-care that I've been doing has been about um, learning first as far as exercise and, you know, trying meditation and mindfulness, kind of learning to sit with things that make me uncomfortable, learning to mm-hmm. not expect um, to feel good all the time, which sounds yeah. like the opposite of self-care. But like sometimes I feel like you can feel bad and then you feel like, what's wrong with me? Why can't I just feel good? And it's like, well, no, sometimes like that's not normal either. Feeling good all the time generally is not how life works. So no. <laughs> um, so learning to sometimes be like, okay, I'm having a bad day and that it is what it is. And, yep, um, and I'm not in control. Yeah. Of it. And yeah, that's the thing. A lot of it is about trying to control things that you absolutely cannot control. <laughs> no, uh, you really can't. And the other thing is um when I think about deadlines and stuff, I'm generally a people pleaser to some extent, but I kind of just reached the point where I'm like, I'll try to hit it. <laughs> Which, and, <laughs> and like I'm not trying to, not even in an unprofessional way, but basically like I'm not gonna kill myself for a book. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. want to even almost kill myself for a book anymore. Yeah, I was going to say, I know you've talked about doing that. And you're like, yeah, nope, not doing that. that I mean, the burnout that I had in February was the worst one, but it was real, very much not the only one. But I can't, re- you know, I've been really grinding for five years. 
um, mm-hmm. or more. So yep. at this point, I part of my self-care is um, learning how to think about the future, which is not something I really ever did. Uh, wow. It was, I very much was mostly just like, I don't know how to describe it. I was just like, the future is some rent thing that may or may not happen. Uh, I'm just going right. to focus on what I'm doing right now. Um, What's next right now? What's next right now? Exactly. Yeah. Um, but, and, but, and thinking that's something I've been thinking about, you know, for the last couple of years and really trying to focus on is that like, I have to think about what will happen when I'm 60, you know, if I make it to 60, mm-hmm. I have to think about what will happen if I, you know, make it to 80. Um, and even like, not even that far in the future, but just like, I need to think about my health. I can't just keep grinding. And then, because it was really scary when I was unable to write, that was the first time it happened. Mm-hmm. Like I've had writer's block, but it it was not like writer's block. This is different. And I was just like, what if I'm not ever like, I have to literally think about working myself so hard that I'm unable to do what I love. Mm -hmm. So when I had, when I start being like, Oh, I need to hit this deadline and things are not working. I start to remind myself that like, well, you know, (laughs) it will happen eventually. If it's late, it's late. Like, sorry, editors. Yeah. <laughs> but, but like, you know, I can't like force it to happen. Um, that doesn't work mm-hmm. for me. The whole sit down and yeah. put your ass in the seat and write does not work for me. No. And and thinking of yourself into the future is also a form of self-care. You're looking yeah, exactly. after your future self. Like, okay, I I who I am has value now and in the future and what I do has value now and in the future and looking after my future self means treating my future self as someone who is important. Exactly. And um, I recently, a couple months ago, I read a book that kind of really helped me put that more in perspective or Ooh, tell me all about it. Cause that's my next question. <laughs> Give me the books. Tell me all uh, the books. Well, bring the it, book bring it. The book was um, atomic habits. Oh, I loved that book. And like there were, there were, you know, I have really, and this is part of the thing about not thinking about the future um, and also having ADHD is not really being able to form habits, but it made me rethink, you know, what habits are mm-hmm. because like, of course there are things I do every day, but I didn't think of about course. those as habits. It's just like, oh, the things I have to do every day. Um, and like, you know, the idea of habit stacking and like tying things you want to do to things that you're already doing. But he talked about like goals versus systems. Um, yes. And the idea of having, like you are generally always going to fail at a goal. So yes. you have to kind of think about the system, maintaining a system rather than achieving a goal. Because for example, one thing that he mentioned was like, okay, you start something, you know, taking a class every week, uh, exercise, language, some whatever. And then um, you miss one week and then you're like, oh, man, I messed up. Well, it's over now. Um, Because if your goal was to take one class a week, then you have messed up your goal and you feel like you have failed. But if your goal is to become proficient at a language or proficient at whatever, or to be the kind of person who generally takes a class once a week, then it's fine if you miss it once 
or it's fine mm-hmm. if you miss it twice because life happens. But then you have to say, okay, my overall, the go- if the goal had been to take a class every week, you would have not succeeded at the goal. But right. you missed two weeks and then you can say, okay, I missed two weeks, but my system is I'm the person who is going to be doing this every week when possible. Next week, it's possible again. So I'm going to do it again next week instead of just being like, oh, well, I tried and I failed. Um, But also the idea of the habits that you maintain now affecting future you, even if you can't, you don't have immediate gratification in the moment. Like you brush your teeth every day because you don't want your teeth to fall out 10 years from now. Right. So other things like that, you do something right now and think about how it will affect future you. So as far as self-care, I've been trying to think of things of like trying to do more things that are not writing, trying to get out of the house more, trying to read more books um, or fit in a bit of reading, even if I can't read the whole book at one time. And also saying no to things. Oh, you don't say. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You know, I did a few things this summer, conferences this summer, which was great, Mm -hmm. Uh, but also tiring. And traveling from Martinique, uh, now that there are no direct flights, really is uh, pretty frustrating. Um, And I was supposed to do the... Us, the, the Texas Book Festival, which I did last year and I loved. But when I did it last year, I flew there from a previous engagement. I flew there from L.A. So getting from L.A. to Austin is fairly simple. Right. And also um, they were still having the Norwegian Airlines flights last year. So then getting back yeah. to Martinique was pretty simple. Uh, I just flew from Austin to Florida and Florida to Martinique. Those flights have been canceled. And, uh, that makes it harder. Yeah. So it's like, you know, Island hopping, airport hopping, trying to get to places. And then I look, so I had said yes. And they made the announcement about the book festival and I was excited. And then I look, I started looking at flights and it would have been like 30 hours, you know, with layovers and three flights or four flights and 30 hours. And like, in the past, I would have said, well, it's not that bad. I'll just go. It'll be a good weekend. And then I'll come back and like sleep for a day and it will be fine. But in reality, when I actually tally the effects of things, uh, the lead up to going to that event, the stress of traveling, which uh, because I hate planes. Well, actually, I love planes. I hate flying. I hate I could sit on the plane all day with the door open, but that's a whole other problem. I'm not going to get into that. But like, so yeah, it's, very, <laughs> it's very stressful for me. Um, and then, you know, multiple flights and then coming back, having the travel be longer than the time I'm there. That will affect me for much longer. And I need to be like, so I try to be more realistic. Like, it's not going to take me a day or two to recover from that. It can have a no. ripple effect that will then affect my mood my ability to yep. work. So I've been trying to factor that in. Mm-hmm. I had to, I had to pull out of the Texas book festival and, you know, it felt really awful. But at the same time, I was like, if I go, I'm really setting myself up for failure. <laughs> um, yeah. And then I'll be like, you're the one who pays. Yeah. yeah. So I'm trying to, in the future, you know, before it gets to that point, really think about, 
mental health, physical health, deadlines that are already super tight. Uh, and so I'm trying to like really, you know, focus on um, breaking down actual steps of things and like yeah. um, being realistic and not just saying, well, yeah, I can do that. Yeah, I can do a lot of things, but it doesn't mean I should do them all the time. Yeah. And being able to do something doesn't mean that you have to or that the answer should therefore be yes. Yes. Um, in addition to Atomic Habits, what books do you want to tell people about? Do I have like a limit on how many? <laughs> because I was in, Are you kidding? I was in a reading no. slump. I was, I've been in a big reading slump. I recently broke that for a little while. White Whiskey Bargain by Jody Slaughter, yeah. which is a contemporary, um, it's, a, it's a marriage of convenience between uh, two rival moonshining families in the in uh, Kentucky, oh. and uh, the heroine is black and um, American, and the hero is Mexican American. Uh, their families have been competitors, but someone else is moving in on their land, on and moving in on their turf. Someone who's more powerful than both of them, so they join forces, and to make sure they don't screw each other over. Uh, they get married and then screw each other. <laughs> and this <laughs> seems logical. Uh, there, it's really, you know, the writing is great. I love the story. And then there's also sex on a car hood um, in the rain. Also good. <laughs> Another marriage of convenience that I read right after that was Zenny by Rebecca Weatherspoon, um, which I also loved, which is. Um, a woman, her aunt passes away and she goes to her aunt's hometown for the funeral there and um, finds out that she is heir to a lot of money. But part of it is she has to marry a large, hot Scottish bagpiper. Um, who, As you do. Who is her aunt's friend. Again, it was a marriage of convenience where people are like, yeah, let's, let's, maybe we're not going to fall in love, but let's just like... Make the best of it. Yeah. I also have like a buttload of arcs that I'm like super excited to read. I started reading Love Lettering by Kate Claiborne. I am in the process of reading that, but what I've read so far has been like so amazing. And like there's also this really, for me, very intense handling of um, the way certain friendships can work out. That is both very real and also something I haven't really seen in a romance before. Yeah. Which is um, when one person just doesn't know why their friend changed and stopped talking to them. Mm -hmm. And like how you kind of just have to deal with that. I, I really love in general friendships and romance. Yeah. Um, but I... But I kind of love the kind of the angst that I feel like doesn't always get the attention it deserves in that like a friendship breakup can be much more difficult than uh, a relationship breakup. Like she's living with her friend at the time. It's this balance of like her friendship ending and this, this dude coming into her life and like them kind of bonding. And then it's also like New York. If you, I also love books with New York as the setting where New York seems really like another character. I really love it. And I'm almost done with my project now so I can read it. Um, but Alona Andrews Hidden Legacy series, I really enjoyed that. And then I read Cerecia Glass's Shadow Chaser. Um, I also listened to that in audio. 
it's urban fantasy romance with um, a woman who is an antiquities expert who's also part of this organization, deals with magic stuff. She has powers and then she encounters this 4,000-year-old Nubian warrior who (laughs) is um, extremely hot and also she has something that belongs to him. He's uh, fulfilling this kind of goal that he's almost finished completing and they are fighting magical bad guys set in Atlanta. And it's just really so good and so engrossing. And as I was reading it, I was just like, man, this would be so amazing as a TV show or like a movie. The world building feels really strong and you're like immersive. So I'm on book one of that. I think it's a three book series. And I think that there's a novella coming out in November or something, but I don't know the title of it. But the first book in the series is Shadow Blade. And then the last thing, um, I have an arc of Farah Rashan's upcoming The Boyfriend Project. What I've read so far is so good. And it also has my favorite illustrated cover that I've seen. That's my my personal opinion. Um, And I also have my own illustrated cover. So sorry to the AI (laughs) who love me, but the Boyfriend Project is where it's at for me. But also it has this like fantastic premise of the first chapter is this woman getting ready for a date with a guy who's like kind of a loser, but she's seeing where it goes. And then there's like this Twitter drama of this woman live tweeting her awful date and her sister is reading it to her and she realizes it's her date who had like set her up and told her he would meet up with her later. And so then she like decides to like go to the restaurant and confront him. Um, And then when she gets there, another woman shows up and confronts him. So (laughs) they all like, you know, play him out. And uh, then the three of them, the series follows the three of them as they like go forward and find love after being kind of connected by this, like this guy and this Twitter drama that happened, which is like such an amazing hook. What I've read so far is super funny and I'm looking forward to reading the rest of it. And that brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you to Alyssa and to her rooster for hanging out with me and for having such a thoughtful and interesting conversation. Like I said in the intro, I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. This is one of my favorite episodes this year. This episode was brought to you by The Rancher's Redemption by Kate Pierce. New York Times bestselling author Kate Pierce returns with the second book in a new contemporary Western romance series, a spinoff of her successful Morgan Ranch series, focusing on a neighboring family with their own ranch and problems of the heart. Emphasizing family bonds, community, and the pride in hard work, this family saga is guaranteed to tug at the heartstrings as a widower and a single mother learn that sometimes it's okay to lean on each other. The Rancher's Redemption by Kate Pierce is now on sale wherever books are sold. For more information, visit kensingtonbooks.com. Today's podcast and the transcript are sponsored by Where Winter Finds You by J.R. Ward. Number one New York Times bestselling author J.R. Ward is heating things up this winter with a holiday novel featuring some of her most iconic Black Dagger brothers. Fans of the series will remember Trez and the heartbreak he suffered from the shadows. He believed there was nothing left for him but grief until 
a mysterious woman shows up in Caldwell and Trez is convinced she's the reincarnation of his lost love. Therese has come to Caldwell fleeing demons of her own, but her attraction to Trez is undeniable. Can these two lost souls find healing and happiness at last? Well, tis the season for magic. Where Winter Finds You by J.R. Ward is on sale now wherever books are sold. Find out more at jrward.com. Coming up on Smart Bitches this week, it is the start of December. I don't know how that happened. And of course, on the first of the month, we have Hide Your Wallet, where we talk about all the new books we're excited about. Plus, we have reviews of new romances, a new gift guide all about spoiling your pets and your furry friends. Plus, Help a Bitch Out, a new rec league, and, of course, books on sale every day so you can stock up with more to read this holiday season. I will have links to where you can find Alyssa Cole online, and I will have links to some of the things she talked about, including some YouTube videos of yin yoga, if you're curious about that, like I am. And I will have links to all of the books we talked about, so do not worry. And as always, I end with a terrible joke. Are you ready? This joke comes from Kaya, who is fabulous, and sent me not only this joke, but extra brownie points by email, which completely made my week. Thank you, Kaya. So this joke's from Kaya, and it's amazing, so get ready. You can entertain everyone in your family with this one. Why can't you use beef stew as a password? Give up? Why can't you use beef stew as a password? It's not stroganoff. <laughs> Stew. Strong enough. So strong enough. <laughs> of course, now I want to use like capital B, 33FST3WXQ pound sign as a password. I'm not actually going to do that. Don't do that. <laughs> thank you, Kaya. On behalf of everyone here, thank you for listening this week. We will be back next week with another episode. In the meantime, we wish you the very best of reading. Smart Podcast Trashy Books is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. You can find more outstanding podcasts to listen to at frolic.media slash podcasts.